0: announcement the hemp revolution will not be televised i repeat the hemp revolution will not be televised welcome to the hemp revolution podcast Good morning and good day to all of you out there listening in on the Hemp Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez, and this is the journey behind the scenes of the entrepreneurs, canopeneurs, the incredible people behind the products that you know and love. Sometimes we get an opportunity to interview and showcase some of the godfathers and grandmothers of these incredible movements. Maybe you've heard of veganism or creating alternative food sources that do not have animal products in them perhaps you've heard of different types of cultivation or even strain genetics i mean we've had some incredible people on this podcast and today is no different as always it is our mission to bring the truth about cannabis and hemp to the forefront so that we can make empowered educated decisions about how we want to take care of ourselves, our bodies, the people that we love, conditions we may be suffering from, but also how we can live happier, healthier daily lives enjoying this beautiful gift of life. If you are listening in today, we are going to be sharing some time with the grandfather of the North American hemp food industry, the hemp nut, which has been around for 39 years making and marketing vegan food 25 years in hemp alone. Our guest today, who is coming all the way in from Italy, so jealous, kinda, I gotta be honest, I'm so jealous, is going to be sharing his journey on how he started to pioneer the movement around hemp nutrients. Put your hands together and help me welcome Mr. Richard Rose. How are you, Richard?
1: Hello. Great. How you doing? Nice I'm to doing see you.
0: Good. Yeah. Wonderful to see you too.
1: Thanks for and, having me.
0: Yeah. Really happy to have you. Thanks so much for taking the time to share with us. You know, intros are all good and well, but I want to hear straight from the horse's mouth. First of all, where in Italy are you?
1: I'm in the north, up by Milan, uh, Lake Como area.
0: Absolutely incredible, and I want to hear how you ended up over there. But first, why don't you share a little bit about who you are, what your background is, and how you got involved in the hemp movement.
1: Well, my name is Richard Rose, and I uh, lived in California my first 45 years of my life. That's where I did most of the food work that that I I started in 1980, making vegan foods uh, from tofu. So I made tofu and then soy milk and foods from it. Over a hundred different products and in the eighties distributed nationwide diet centers, health food stores, supermarkets, also in Canada. Uh, and then in 1986, I pivoted to um, the product that got us on the Inc 500 fastest growing list of uh, small companies and five years later, which was uh, um, Tofurella and Tofurella was uh, a cheese, cheese alternative, cholesterol-free, lactose-free, and um, and it was uh, it got into national distribution, supermarkets, health food stores, coast to coast in the U.S. and Canada, uh, in Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is about a third of our business. Canada was about a third of our business. It was in all the supermarkets uh, up there and many in the U.S. And uh, so then in 1993, I was on the Inc. 500. And then the next year, I pivoted to hemp seed foods. I had been using soybeans uh, all those years since 1980, 14 years by that time to make my food and uh, over 100 products. But I realized that uh, hemp seed was actually more nutritious than even soybean and it tasted better it tastes like pine nuts or sunflower seeds doesn't need any processing uh, unlike soybean which had to be cooked and, and uh, filtered and, and all mm-hmm. and uh so i pivoted started making hemp rella um, a cheese alternative was the first product and uh, it got pretty quick uh, national distribution um, plugged into the distribution we already had established in the salesforce um uh, we were unusual in that uh, we were one of the first virtual companies they were called virtual uh, businesses or companies and what that means is we outsource everything in the business except our core competencies which was uh, marketing and product development so we outsourced production to co-packers and and um uh, storage to uh to cold storage warehouses and uh trucking and and uh, even sales and and um, was outsourced to brokers uh even payroll so we did basically just the bookkeeping and the marketing in house and uh that way i was able to scale fast it's really hard to scale uh we grew 1700% in five years and that kind of growth is difficult doing it in house. And luckily we were uh, contracting out all the production to uh, co-packers. So we could do that kind of scaling uh, fast growth without um, having to buy more equipment and hire more people and buy more refrigeration space and all the uh, trucks and all that. And as well, we were able to do it without, bank or investor financing so uh the way that worked was we paid in 30 and got paid in 10. so the usually typically what happens it's the opposite uh for most companies they have to pay for the goods before they sell them the more risky it is for them and the harder it is to be successful because they have to finance the receivables and the inventory somehow Mm -hmm. the way we got around that and uh was paying in 30 and getting paid in 10. So we, all the growth was, was uh, self-financed uh, just from cash flow. That system is what I had going for, well, by 1994, I had it set up for eight years. So um, we were able to just plug the, the hemp cheese, hemprella, into that, that system and um, got immediate distribution coast to coast in U.S. and Canada that way. Then the next product was Hempe Burger, uh, Tempe Burger with 10% uh, uh, hemp seed in it. And that was called Hempe Burger. And that was plugged into that same distribution network. Uh, Those were the first two perishable and frozen hemp foods in history in in North America and maybe in Europe as well. And uh, we ran with those two products for a couple years. But in the meantime, I had been trying to take the shell off the hemp seed. I knew that once we could shell hemp seed, it would be a game changer for the hemp food industry. Uh, the analogy is sunflower seeds. Can you imagine taking a handful of sunflower seeds with the shell on it, popping in your mouth and eating them? It's not palatable. You're not gonna like it. Whereas if you took shelled sunflower seeds, yeah, easy-peasy, it, 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 it tastes delicious and there's no uh, shells to pick out of your teeth. So. That would be, that was my goal for for years, and I finally found a company in Germany beat me to it and was doing it, so I just started buying from them. That was in ninety six and that product was named hemp nut and I was the first one to put the two words together hemp with nut and it would, was an obvious first choice for that material today you call that hemp hearts, but back then hemp nut was considered the generic term for that for shelled hemp seed, and then from that we used uh, hemp nut in the cheese and in the burger. And then we made uh, let's see, chocolate chip cookies and an energy bar and hemp seed oil. We had a lip balm, peanut butter that was half hemp nuts, a number of products all under the hemp nut incorporated brand.
0: Man, this is incredible. First of all, I remember... Vaguely, only because I was so young, but I remember my mom, who used to bring home the soy milk and the, you know, all of the hippie yummies. She's, she went to school up at Heartwood, just to give you an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And Garberville and Redway. And so just to give you an idea of like how I grew up, totally barefoot and topless, you know, running around in the forest and eating plant-based diet a lot of the time. So I totally remember these products that you're talking about. And I'm like, a little starstruck right now that I'm actually talking to the person who created any of it. So thanks. Food was dinner was yummy like every night. <laughs> but one of the things that caught my attention and I think that I think that it's a really important subject for our listeners because in the industry right now there is not so much of an air of together as one. Everybody is trying to do it all themselves. And one of the things I say often is hire your weaknesses and partner up, don't partner down. There's a really, really significant difference between trying to do everything yourself, bringing it all. I mean, hemp companies are wearing it like a badge of pride right now or we're fully vertical. You know, we do everything ourselves. It's all in-house. And yet behind the scenes, when I talk to them, even though they have this really powerful front-facing brand and all of this stuff, Everyone's hurting for cash flow, no matter what. It, no matter what they, the image is um, up front. Everyone's hurting for cash flow. So my question to you is, when you are growing and scaling, even at half the rate that you did what are some key elements that you have to consider or how do you go about making those strategic alliances or partnerships with people so that you're not doing everything yourself but really able to stay laser focused on the things that you do
1: best? Yeah, that's a good question. We, we had, see, over the course of those years, we must have had a total of, I don't know, maybe a dozen or dozen and a half uh, co-packers around the world. I was able to do the hemp ha- uh, you know, no one was, I was the first one to do it. No one was doing it yet in North America, first by years. So I had to create a brand new global supply chain to do a brand new product that no one had ever seen in, in really the birth of an industry. Today, that product is 90% of Canadian hemp. We use co-packers around the world, bought the seed in China, certified, orga- certified organic whole hemp seed. In China had it shipped to Hamburg where it was shelled and then had it shipped to LA where we stored it. And working with co-packer, if we didn't work with co-packers, it would have been impossible to do all the things that we did. Financing is really gonna be you know, the faster you grow, the more you're going to need receivable to finance your receivables and inventory. And to the degree you can work with a co-packer who will give you generous terms, the less money you're going to have to raise outside or, or get by, by bank financing for. Luckily for us, it was a perishable food, and the perishable food industry was used to quick terms, net 7, net 10, net 15. Because of that, it worked. In a in a dry goods situation or a grocery uh, item, it might be harder, uh, you know, tinctures or gel caps or something. It might be harder to get that because they're more used to net 30 to net 90 uh, terms, day terms. So, it's gonna be harder to pull that off, I believe. But one of the first things you have to decide is, is an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, a solo entrepreneur. Uh, my first employee, I didn't hire for like two years after working out of a spare bedroom, uh, growing uh, re- a Tofarella. Um, it, I think it took it, two years. So. What, what you need to hire, what people need to understand is, let's say you're a grower and you're really good at growing, you're a master grower, you're awesome at it. So people want more of what you grow and, but you get busy. So you're like, oh, I got to hire somebody to help. Often what they'll think is I need to hire another grower. And that's a huge mistake because what's going to happen is you're going to hire another grower and then another and another, and then you're going to end up managing a grow business instead of being a grower. And your strength, your wheelhouse is not in managing the business. It's in in being that, in being a grower, not a manager of a grow business. So I always tell people the e-myth, Michael Gerber's e-myth, his book uh, is uh, the concept is that your first hire should be a business manager. It should be somebody who can fill out the insurance paperwork and get the permits and make sure the taxes are paid on time and do the hiring and and pay the rent and do the bookkeeping and do all that stuff that isn't uh, isn't growing uh, because you're good at growing and you should just stay in the in the in the uh, in the back and grow you should not hire more growers and then end up being a manager that's just a recipe for failure Mm -hmm. so that should be your first hire Uh, working with co-packers is a real there's an art to it and first in vetting them and making sure that they're the right one and they're not going to screw you up either in bad product quality or in in playing games uh, with contracts and uh, we had one that sold our saying cheese out the back door to other people and um, that was a problem we had to we had to change packers so um, it it's fraught with with dangers and complications, but if you can navigate that, which is totally possible, if you can navigate that and get to the place where you 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 set up this supply chain and and it works, you're gonna be able to do amazing things that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise, both in terms of product uh, production, but also in R&D because those guys are good at R&D and, and they'll come up with an idea. Hey, what about this? We can do a hickory smoke. My co-packer came to me one day and said, you know, we can smoke the cheese hit with real hickory, not add flavor, with real hickory smoked. And I was down. I went for it. It was an amazing product. And we were able to do great advertising with it. Like um, we had one ad that the headline was, when we first introduced hemp cheese, they said we must be smoking something. We are now for the <laughs> Hickory, Hickory Smoke uh, hemprella and things like that. So, you know, they're if you get hooked in with the right guys, they're good at production. They're good at quality. They're good at uh, logistics and uh, they're good at R&D. And you're going to have the company, the ideal company in your um, in your back pocket to work with that that you can go to with questions and problems and and work collaboratively on on the business that's so important mark cuban
0: said the first thing that you should do is hire your weaknesses don't try and fill the weakness but hire the weakness and and stay in the area that you're the most powerful another person that I that I follow that is all about being in alignment like in your natural flow is Roger James Hamilton New York Times best-selling author of the Millionaire Master Plan somewhat my bible right now like in the sense of how entrepreneurs especially solopreneurs are moving through a wealth spectrum how we move from being you know in survival mode to thriving and building out a team that is a direct complement to the things that you know we're trying to accomplish and looking at how our businesses are being put together you know, for instance, I have a training company, I have a media company, and I have a high-level coaching program where I'm, I'm supporting brands and businesses getting, getting to that next milestone that they want to hit. And I'll tell you, at one point I was running it as one company And I was having my team do everything and I was trying to do everything in each one of those companies. And once I sat down and started to silo them out, I was able to take my team and create little mini CEOs for each one of those facets. And then I could just operate at a high level, you know, remaining in a visionary position for my company. And we started to see really incredible growth, but manageable growth, which eliminated a ton of stress, not only for me, but for my team who took the brunt of everything, you know, coming down the pipeline. So I'm really fascinated by this idea of being in flow and really playing the role that is most potent for you. And for those of you guys who are tuning in, I invite you to do some self-reflection and decide if you are in fact working against the grain or working in flow with the things that feel most naturally and natural and most fulfilling to you. What was the reception, Richard, when you started to bring out all of these, you know, plant-based foods, what was the reception when you introduced hemp, for instance, it was still somewhat of a controversial subject. Only hippies used it, you know, soy became interna- you know, international, product and food relatively quickly, but it was a bean. It wasn't, you know, related to the cannabis plant. What was the reaction when you started to move into hemp-based products? Was it welcomed or was it controversial?
1: Both. So starting in 1980 with tofu and soy foods, uh, vegan foods, back then, you have to remember that in the 80s, literally, tofu was literally America's most hated food. So they would do, uh, I think it was Gallup, would do a poll every year, Would you know? figure out for some reason they wanted to know what was America's least favorite foods. And uh, yogurt was number two, but number one was tofu. And so I was selling America's most hated foods during the Reagan 80s and still able to make a go of it, still got the Inc. 500. And that prepared me for pivoting to hemp seed foods in the go-go 90s. I I believed in leveraging the stigma, not hiding from the stigma. That's kind of two two ways of looking at it. You can say, well, let's take the word hemp off the label and not have any green and not have any leaves and and just sort of beat around the bush on it, and then or you can do what I did, which was meet the the challenge head on. and And for instance, on the hemprella label, it had a um, it had a uh, a neon green seven finger hemp leaf on a dark purple background on right on the label. So as it sits on the shelf, you see this bright neon green hemp leaf staring at you in health food stores. And what that was able to do was leverage the stigma. So instead of hiding from the stigma and running away or, or whatever, I leveraged it and the, the, the text on the label, the copy said barely legal, for instance, was one of them. Um, another one was uh, Jamaica Jack flavor it was, I think our first flavor was called Jamaica Jack and uh, it had the Jamaican national colors is the, in the, on the label. Um, and uh, instead of like hiding it or something, I just dove into it and Sure. Some didn't want to carry it. Whole Foods said it was a, a political statement and they refused to carry it. They had a ban on hemp foods until 2004. Ironically, a vegetarian worker-owned socialist co-op also said it was a, they didn't want to carry it because it was a political statement, but they were saying it unironically. They were actually serious. However, it was sold at the uh, PX, the supermarket on uh, Travis Air Force Base. So some had a problem with it and others didn't. I could tell when I would go into a health food store and show it to a buyer on sales calls that some of them, you know, they would have long hair and it'd be a hip, hip health food store in some hip area. And I'd show it to them and they would just turn white as soon as they saw it. And their eyes would get big and they'd say, you have to go now. What I realized was happening was that they were funded by pot money. Either the, the owner was growing weed or a local grower was, you know, dealer was given a money to start the store or whatever. Those were the guys that I could tell something was going on because even though they were hip and they had hip customers and they'd sell a ton of it, they would just turn white and just freak out and just They're basically all, send us here. packing. <laughs> and the only, the only logical explanation was that they didn't want to draw attention to uh, to their store or something because of pot money. So the it was as big as the the pushback was from Whole Foods and Ocean Beach People's Food Co-op in, in Ocean Beach, California, it was as equally or bigger reception f- positive for it. So the, we, we rolled out the hemprella. Uh, Expo East in Baltimore, which is the big natural food trade show on the East Coast back then, and we had a booth because we'd been doing the show so long. We had really good locations for our booth. We literally had booth number one in the foyer as people came down the escalator right in front of them. And so the whole time, as they're standing on the escalator riding it down, they would see our booth right there, and it had, and they knew us. We've been around for you know a long time, and they they mm-hmm. knew us, and. Um, the, and I, they heard that we were going to have something different that was worth checking out. And um, by the grace of God, uh, in Ink Magazine that month, so everybody flying to Baltimore on United, Ink Magazine was the main business magazine. They would distribute, people would read. And on page uh, 68 was a full page, full color page uh, picture of me holding my products with an electric guitar and my hair down on the beach in Florida and uh, no text, just full page, full color. I was on tour of the band at the time. And, and so people were like, oh, shit, it's Richard. Holy moly. I can't wait to see him and, and see what's up. You know, so that coupled with being in the foyer of the entire, the entire exhibit hall, we were three deep the whole weekend. people wanting to sample and see what what was going on and stuff. And the president of the largest natural food distribution uh, chain, uh, United Natural Foods Incorporated, Michael Funk at the time, who was an old friend. And he came in, he looked at what what the new products were and and tasted it, looked at the package and shook my head and said, he gave me distribution nationwide in all his houses. Um, I think there's five at the time. And so I had instant distribution and that allowed us to tell all the retailers the rest of the weekend that UNfi has it you know these kinds of hand of God things that I mean I you couldn't have planned it any better and the, it all added up to really phenomenal momentum and momentum is really one of those hand of god things you really can't create momentum you know the the whoever came up with the pet rock everybody probably told him that was the stupidest thing they ever heard of and he does it anyway and then there's this huge momentum everybody wants a pet rock you know, or <laughs> beanie babies or whatever the fad of the, the day is that's all because of momentum that that you're able to go as we call it today go viral back then it was just momentum and you know we had this momentum from the expo east and from the ink magazine and from it being hemp and having a big leaf on the label and and all this stuff so all that added up to really good momentum and it, it drove it really drove it if i was a startup trying to do that i wouldn't have had that momentum and it would have languished it would have not gone gone anywhere people have said this is too weird they'd be afraid that this long hair was making it in his backyard or his garage or his kitchen or something. There'd be all this kind of pushback based on, you know, well, who is this and why is he doing this and, and what's in it and all that kind of stuff. But we were a known entity in pivoting to hemp foods from soy foods. It was just the right thing at the right time by the right people and in the right place. And it it just worked.
0: Oh my God. This is such a, like, this could not be a more relevant conversation for the things that i have addressed and i've had business owners from all different phases and stages of success or failure in their businesses and you know i think a a bottleneck for folks is not knowing what step, not knowing how much time to spend on the step that they're on and always wanting to jump to the next one because it seems like it'll be more exciting um, one of my mentors said, sometimes if you're a creative, you create more problems so that you don't have to deal with the ones that you already have. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a really interesting thing to say because at a, fa- at a couple of points in my own business, I was like, well, this isn't working. Maybe I'll do this. Okay. I'm going to try this over here. And I never got, you know, I never gave myself enough runway to get the momentum i would get traction but then because it wasn't moving as fast as my aspirations wanted it to i would make the pivot right the inevitable pivot that you have to make as an entrepreneur but i would make it unnecessarily and start going on another direction which would put me on a whole nother time frame so what i hear you saying is to gain that momentum takes a lot just to just to get there. And then anything that you plug into that, you know, once you build trust with the marketplace, you can roll all different types of thing out. But you started with one thing, one thing really well, soy based, you know, um, natural foods, or vegan foods, and then you brought hemp into it. What I recognize is happening a lot in the in the hemp industry right now, beyond the fact that everybody's trying to do everything themselves and everybody's trying to have the absolute best and they're creating internal competition, you know, and external competition rather than partnerships. Everyone's working competitively rather than collaboratively. Um, and what I'm recognizing is that everyone wants to skip to the momentum, but they're missing what it takes to actually gain traction first and build the mission and the message behind the brand. They're just pushing, pushing, pushing product and brand. When you had your logo and your name and your label and your product, what was your first move to get that first win that showed you all of your hard work getting ready was gonna actually actually caught to create traction so that you could get momentum.
1: I think it was before him, and I think it would have been getting placement and getting legitimization from supermarket chains. Safeway in California was, I think, the first. Yeah, it was the first one. Uh, Rayleighs out there in Sacramento, mm-hmm. and then Trader Joe's. I mean, Trader Joe's was a third of our business just selling them tofu cheese nothing more, and uh, they were selling it for half the cost per pound than the health food store across the street. Uh, it didn't affect my health food store sales. You know, that kind of legitimization for a tofu product and for a hemp product or CBD product goes a very long way. Uh, the, the supermarkets in Canada, when they took it on, you know, it was it was that legitimization. That was sort of the when I knew that this would work, but to get to there, it took me seven years of what I would call what I felt was failure even though it was I introduced hundreds of products I was living you know I was living on under a grand for my wife and I a a month and and um, for all those years trying to build this and learn branding and learn marketing and you know I didn't I was a music major in college so I didn't really know a lot. I was just figuring it out by trial and error as we went. But in hemp food, I think it was, it was a lot easier just because of who we were by then. We were a known entity in the industry. We were in the trade journals all the time. We were called yeah. for quotes all the time. We were in food processing trade journals. We were in ingredient uh, trade journals. We, you know, we were a known entity. We were in the Inc. 500. I mean, only 500 of us that year. We're on the Inc 500. So today it's the Inc 5000, but back then it was the 500. So I'm not convinced if, if anybody else could have done it very easily, if at all, including myself, if it was a startup. And it was only because I was already doing essentially the same business for years that I could pivot to, to hemp seed, to hemp foods, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and make that transition. And even though I had long hair, I was. It was still a legitimate uh, thing because we were a legitimate, a known legitimate company. And then I don't know if you saw it, but I was on the Roseanne show. Roseanne Barr had an afternoon talk show for a few years on CBS. And uh, in 1999, in August, I was on that with her and we were dressed head to toe in hemp, including shoes and aprons, both of us. And uh, we made a potato salad for seven or eight, nine minutes talked all about hemp. She tossed me softball questions about hemp. And so we were able to educate 3 million people about hemp seed foods and about hemp seed as, as a food and the nutrition and about hemp in general and showing our clothes and, and why it's so cool and, and, uh, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, that that was, I think, to the today, to this day, that was hemp foods' biggest audience uh, on TV, certainly in in the U.S. And that went a long way towards legitimizing it as well. Um, that was '99. That was right when everybody was starting Nativa and all the competitors that were knocking me off started coming on to uh, coming online and and introducing products. And it was really good to have a national TV legitimization of of this new emerging segment that was happening right in front of people's eyes. You know, hemp had been fiber for 12,000 years. It had been food, but it wasn't utility to mankind. was as a fiber uh, crop, not a, not a food crop. In 94 and then 96, when we, made, when we started shelling hemp seed and turned it into a food crop, that was the, that was hemp. what I call hemp 2.0. It was the first change in 12,000 years in hemp. And today it's 90% of Canadian hemp, so the, the shelled hemp seed. So until CBD, it was the value driver for hemp in, in the world. And the reason to uh, to grow it was more for seed than fiber uh, in most places. So the, that kind of thing really inspired others to get into it and... Um, and uh, it it inspired Canadians to pivot from, they were trying to do everything. They were trying to do fiber and Mm -hmm. uh, animal bedding and everything, and and they finally said, no, screw that, let's just do seed and oil. And uh, they set their path that they're on today.
0: Pretty interesting landscape that you're coming from, just the time periods that you're describing and being from San Francisco myself where, you know, I I spent probably seven years living there and they were my... Let's see, I was probably seven to about 11, 12 years old. My dad still lives in Novato, so I went back all the time during the summer to be with my dad. The time frame that you're describing, being in the Bay Area in the northern part, the northern part of California, what a colorful time to be there. (laughs) Quite a bit was invented at that time by what you're calling yourself the long Hairs. Um, and quite a bit was brought to fruition through your guys's creativity and, and capacity for imagination. Um, I'm astonished right now to see the contrast in the industry now where I think we're in phase three, what I, what I would call phase three, you know, the pioneers, uh, and I'll just talk about the cannabis industry for a second, the pioneers of the industry, you know, hid in the hills. Practiced all of the things that we're talking about right now in the hills. I call them our straganonas. They were up there boiling in their little cauldrons and making these mm-hmm. incredible mes- medicines. Stage two, they all came out of the woodwork trying to create, you know, this legal industry. 2009, we came, you know, it was a similar time for us when we came over to Colorado from California to help write legislation that would legalize cannabis, recognized an incredible gap in education. Now phase three, we're seeing big business come in. Venture Mm -hmm. capital, bigger money, higher education is coming into this space. And a lot of the originators are retreating back, standing on the outside, looking in and looking how hemp has moved from advocating for fibers and, and fuel and things like that, which was in the later part of the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, to it pretty much going silent around hemp as cannabis went mainstream and now you can't go anywhere without seeing or hearing about CBD right this illustrious ingredient in hemp what is your opinion having gone through what you've gone through and built what you've built what is your opinion of hemp's legacy do you believe that it is going to that it will in fact disrupt these other industries as heavily as it's disrupted the healthcare system or do you think that its main use and focus will remain inside of the healthcare system how do you see hemp's capabilities diversifying across these mainstream industries
1: and by hemp you mean in this context cbd
0: I mean, I don't think that the industry is mature enough to be able to differentiate, but they're still calling it industrial hemp, right? And they can't recognize. And I mean, they're still quite literally here in the United States. And I know because I'm talking to almost everybody, they're still saying like, oh, well, this is hemp. This isn't marijuana. And marijuana is different than cannabis. Right, so there's still a pretty, there's yeah. still a pretty bad mixture here, and an understanding how to differentiate this strain of cannabis, right? Because yeah. it's all cannabis. Yeah. So I'm really yeah. interested to just hear. You know, there's already been a significant disruption in in the food industry with hemp right now there's a huge highlight on CBD. There's many, many, many more emphasis on all of these different cannabinoids coming out. Just how do you think that this is going to go knowing what you know, and having done what you've done for um, hemp?
1: Well, see, you know, FDA is going to finally get off their butt and do something about CBD. I think what'll happen with that is that there'll be a couple different levels. There'll be, you know, drugs, approved drugs like uh, Epidiolex and then, um, there will be intra state vendors just selling within their s- producing and selling within their state that will be able to avoid FDA to a large degree. And then there will be companies that are more like wellness, health and wellness, using it like they might have used acai in the past or, or something like that or a probiotic in the past. So mm-hmm. I think we'll have a couple different levels. I don't think FDA is going to, this, this has been schedule one for almost uh, 50 years, and the most draconian laws with the heaviest enforcement, with the most money thrown at it, uh, all these years couldn't stop a plant um, so far, and I don't think they're going to be able to do so now, and I think FDA recognizes that, that the cat's out of the bag, the toothpaste is out of the tube, they're not going to be able to get it back in, so they have to figure out how how to manage it, but uh, it's that's not going to change. And the, the seed side, the food, uh, the golden era of hemp seed foods was in the late 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. it, there were mm-hmm. far more, there were four chips on the market. The burger was on the market. The cheese, there was a couple uh, ice creams on the market. Today, you don't see that. You don't see the kind of diversity that you saw back then. It got bigger, there's more sales, there's more production, but it didn't get wider. It just got narrow uh, got deeper. so I think there's a tremendous amount of room still in the, the food industry for every food company to have a hemp like kettle chips should have a hemp corn chip. Cliff bar should have a hemp bar uh, if they don't already. everybody will have a hemp version of uh, whatever their their main product line is. They'll have a line extension that includes hemp. In terms of the food industry, my my goal has been to disrupt 15% of food soy in the U.S. And that would take about a million acres of, of seed to do that. That, for me, was the first milestone to really aim for, to, to make it a real legitimate industry. Um, and that's still, I mean, that's, you know, we're still working on that goal. Uh, we're nowhere near it yet. Fiber, I just, you know, fiber is a nice idea, and it's been around 12,000 years. Hemp fiber, and we've used it for many things, but uh, it takes the biggest um, cost for infrastructure to do fine textiles, for instance. And that somebody's going to just have to bite the bullet and spend that 20 million, as well as maybe another. Five million to get all the farmers uh, within a hundred miles to grow the fiber,
0: yeah. the way
1: they want it done, uh, which is going to be different than seed, and it's going to be different than CBD. So I think that's going to come last, just because it, there's so much emphasis right now on CBD and and um, and seed. The you know the hempcrete. We still have to find a way to use these these waste stocks that uh, the seed and the CBD industry is generating, as well as the marijuana industry is generating. Uh, find some use for them, I think, before we start growing thousands of acres just for fiber, for uh, virgin fiber for processing. Yeah. Plus and there's canaf. You know, people can be growing canaf in the south and starting the processing um, until they're ready to pivot to hemp. And then within hemp, there's other products. There's um, terpenes, there's uh, CBG, there are cannabisin, there's canflavins, there's hemp sprouts, there's hemp juice, there's uh, hemp juice powder, there's instant mixes like instant ice cream, frozen yogurt mixes, it could happen. There's, uh, you know, we could have hemp yogurts and ice creams and cheese and, and burgers and, and breads and chips and, and literally all that could be, could be hemp. All these people that are doing THC-infused dinners and foods, none of them that I've ever seen use hemp. And so they're using, they're making a big deal about cannabis dinner. Ooh, we're gonna, this chef is gonna do a cannabis dinner. There's no hemp seed oil, they're using olive oil and there's no, there's no shelled hemp seed in it anywhere. So cousins can't even get around to doing it. I don't think we can ask craft to get around to doing it. yet either. <laughs> yeah, I, I 100%
0: agree. Okay, in closing here, we usually do what we call the words of wisdom. And this is an mm-hmm. opportunity for us to share a little bit with our with our listeners. And and just to give you some, some idea of who is listening, we have budding entrepreneurs, people who are trying to figure out how to get in, they want to get in, they recognize that there's an opportunity, they may have a unique skill set, but they're not quite sure how to go about it, or what you know what they should try and go after, then we also have the existing business owners, maybe they're hitting some sort of glass ceiling or some sort of challenge in their business, and they're looking for the words of wisdom to uh, help them make that next move. You have outlined a couple of the inevitable challenges that come along with solopreneurship or even being a canopeneur or a hempreneur i'd love to hear from you what are some words of wisdom that you can share with our community to help them navigate through the next steps in their business
1: whatever you think you know is not right so don't think that whatever you know today about hemp or cbd or cannabis is all there is to know. Because I've been studying this 47 years, I've been smoking 47 years for, for medical, I have bipolar. It's kept me alive, uh, it's kept me on this planet. I'm, so I've been studying it 47 years, 25 professionally in hemp. And I'll tell you, I learn something new every week. Sometimes every day, I learn something new. And it's because I know I don't know it all. Even though I know a, a lot about it, I don't know it all. And so I learn a, a lot every day. I think the minute you think you know it all about any subject, Dunning-Kruger demons will take over and screw up your life. And you have to have an open mind. You have to have a um, the idea that you can constantly learn about this and that you barely, hardly know anything about it, even though you think you know everything about it. That being said, how do you find the information? I I'm doing Today I'm doing the, the Richard Rose report is for people like, your listeners. Coming from an entrepreneurial background, I approach it differently. I don't prefer workarounds for compliance as opposed to just straight compliance in the way that maybe the regulators would want you to do it. Uh, I look for ways that I want to do it within the compliant framework, the compliance framework. You're going to have to be really clever at how you move forward. And I have, I, I, I rarely see anybody doing it what I would consider right. There's still a lot of overhead room for improving your branding, improving your marketing, improving your product development, improving improving your production. Maybe a tenth of one percent of the products that I've seen are what I would say are doing it right, going about it the right way, the right intent, uh, whatever. There's people aren't there. The industry isn't sophisticated enough yet. And that could be a differentiation for your marketing where you are sophisticated enough and however it is that you, you, uh, you uh, express that to your, to your, uh, your consumers. I suggest people, uh, follow sharp people, medical genomics on Facebook and on, on the web, the Richard RichardRoseReport.com. Um, you know, there's, there's 90% of what I see being uh, offered out there in terms of information tends to be wrong in some aspect, or um, par- only partial. partially the this, this story, like they're omitting vast amount of the story that will give it more context. So uh, I think it's never been harder to separate the educational week from the chaff today and get the right information than it is today. And I think that it has never been harder to do this business than it is today. And I think there have never been as many forces aligned against legalization, normalization, the way we want to see it as there are today. People that are already in the business and paying big fees to the state don't really want to see us succeed. And uh, the dispensary, the marijuana dispensaries all want the CBD and Uh, sales and it's never been more difficult than it is today so to think you're going to approach it like you might have approached selling tires or hair dryers or whatever your business was before is is going to be a flaw and you need to find some magic in your marketing and in your operation your business in general that you can communicate to your customers
0: love that love 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 that piece of advice okay i'm going to piggyback on here um because i'm super inspired by what you just said and uh i can i can never say this enough how you do one thing is how you do everything and i would absolutely agree with you richard that the no matter how many tools we have to make it easier today It has never been more difficult. And I think that all of the options are putting us into decision overwhelm as entrepreneurs because we don't know which option to use or what tool to implement or, you know, whatever it is that we are in information overload and opportunity overload. And I think that we are in more ways than one, losing our creativity, and in that process, are creating a bunch of looky-loos, me-too products. I think that there is such a huge opportunity for innovation and creativity when it comes to this particular industry. Like no other time in our history have we seen an opportunity to innovate product and solutions. There's no new ideas. There's only an opportunity to improve the existing infrastructure so that it continues to grow and nourish more people and impact more people around the world. So put your thinking caps on, block out the white noise. Like when a horse is running a race it has its blinders on because you only want it to see what's right in front of them. Stop looking from left to right and just focus on what is right there ahead of you. The second piece of advice that I would share would be to, to lean on your team. Asking for help is probably one of the hardest things to do, but it is one of the most powerful things that you can do as a leader. Ask more questions. The, the teaching teacher is not the one who is the leading learner. The leading learner is out there trying to acquire the information necessary to make the next educated step in their calculated step in your venture but if you're just sitting there teaching being the teaching teacher you're going to be regurgitating more of your own best thinking and your best thinking is what has gotten you to where you are right now so if you're a cbd brand or hemp based company or an entrepreneur of any type who feels like you're hitting a glass ceiling Chances are that you are acting as a teaching teacher rather than a leading learner. There's some sort of information or a mentorship that you have to acquire in order to get yourself and your team to the next level. And then the final thing that I will say is grow slow. Grow slow. What does that mean? That means not (laughs) leveraging everything that you have at the exact moment that you have it just because you have it. You have to make really calculated moves in this industry. And if you don't have a thick hide that is used to being chapped, this may not be the space for you there you're going to reach more opposition than you will opportunity. You're not going to know how to take care, take advantage of the opportunity that you do have. And when you finally figure it out, it could be too late. So I suggest that you grow slow, make calculated, educated moves, acquire the information, education, and support that you need as a leader so that your team feels inspired, motivated, um, and opportunistic, but optimistic about the vision that you have as a leader and where you're actually taking this company. The rest of it will fall into place. They say, if if you know the what and the when, if you know what you want to sell when, the who and the how to make it happen will show up. Those are my words of wisdom. Hope you guys enjoyed. Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. And um, I'd love to have a follow-up call with you once I get to read more into the Richard Rose report. I think that that those are, I only got to read a couple. I think they're fantastic. And I'd love to continue to feature and share your information and story with our community.
1: Sounds good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Any final words of wisdom before we end today's episode?
1: No, I think you know that last bit you said hit it on the head. The leader, the uh, CEO, really needs vision and uh, persistence and the ability to read between the lines and hear the, the silence between the notes and to be able to figure it all out.
0: Love it. Well, thank you so much for the contribution that you make to My Kitchen Cabinets. <laughs> love your foods, always have and always will. So really appreciate your innovations and contributions. Can't wait to continue to have your stuff inside of our story. This is incredible work that you are doing around the world. Enjoy your time in Italy. There's an abundance of beauty and food and amazingness over there to enjoy. So enjoy. And for those of you who are tuning in, thanks so much for being a part of this incredible community. It is our mission to empower you with the truth about cannabis and hemp so that you can make educated decisions about how you want to treat yourself. The people that you love and the conditions you may be suffering from. If you are a client looking for products that you can trust to deliver the results that you're looking for, check us out on medicalsecrets.com for our personal recommendations and Sonia's reviews. If you are a budding entrepreneur or a business owner who's hitting that inevitable glass ceiling, Check us out at TheEmeraldCircle.com for resources, relationships, tools, tips, tricks, and all of the other things that you may need to break through the inevitable challenges and the glass ceilings that you are hitting in your company right now. I'm your host with the most, Sonia Gomez from Denver, Colorado, and I will see you guys on the next episode of The Hemp Revolution. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to another Rockstar episode of the Hemp Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez. And just for you, we took notes on this episode along with the links and other resources mentioned inside of today's show. Get them for free right now by going to TheEmeraldCircle.com. Now, if you want more on this, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast or wherever you like to listen, and you will be automatically entered in to our monthly monthly giveaway where you can get swag bags, all kinds of cool gifts and discounts from our guests, and exclusive offers that are only mentioned right here in the Hemp Revolution podcast. I can't wait for you to share this with your friends. With your help, we've been able to impact millions of people's lives around the world with the truth about hemp and cannabis. And we know that you love us so much that you're going to leave a review and rate us right now on your favorite platform to absorb content just like this. Now, we challenge you to dream big and love the life that you live. Thanks so much. And we hope to see you on our next episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. Ciao for now.